I'm told that some people watch the Super Bowl only for the ads. A lot of money goes into them. They're catchy. They're memorable. They stay with us. And we're going to see them all year long. The Army came up with a recruiting slogan. Be all that you can be in the Army. With young people, proud and tall, jumping out of planes, thrilling. For some, not me. As long as it's working, I'm staying inside of it. It shows them doing community service in countries where the villagers beam their appreciation. It's fulfilling. The message is you can be a proud warrior with excitement and fulfillment. A couple of things got left out, like bullets coming at you and PTSD, but it's a good recruiting slogan. Jesus, on the other hand, has a slogan, deny yourself and take up your guillotine and follow me. Or your gallows, or your electric chair, or your gas chamber. Whatever your favorite symbol is of capital punishment, it implies wrongdoing. It implies criminal wrongdoing, so wrong that society gets to put you to death in a bloody, torturous display that clearly says, don't make this choice. Nobody wants a guillotine or a gallows or a gas chamber. Nobody wants to ride the needle. Nobody wants to hang on a cross. Our instinct is self-preservation, to move away from death. How in the world can Jesus choose this bloody capital punishment as the picture of what it means to follow him? Well, given that they liked exaggerated speech apparently a lot, to make a point, maybe there's more here that we need to hear. Jesus has just asked a question, who am I? And they gave him the Sunday school answers, and he says, but but who am I for you? Good old, bold, proud Simon Peter says, you're the Christ. And then Jesus begins to talk about suffering and death and resurrection and Simon Peter can't go there no 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 not my God I don't want my God mentioned with suffering can't have that and Jesus essentially says get out of my face as soon as the definition of the Christ begins to contain something that Simon's not ready for apparently is broader and deeper than what he understands. He starts to try to control it and contain it. He wants the glorious image, but there's more. And Jesus tells them that following him, there there are two marks of this discipleship, self-denial and a bloody picture of capital punishment. The conditions for following Jesus, and neither one of them is very appealing to somebody like me who can't pass up a chocolate chip cookie. What does this mean? My son-in-law has expressed a concern that sometime he would end up in a sermon. 
Don't tell him. <laughs> a few years back, we were talking about my retirement. And he said, look at it this way. The next 10 years would be the best 10 years you have left. Love my (laughs) son-in-law. What do you want to do with those 10 years? And in that is a financial planner's translation of those words, you're dust, and to dust you shall return. What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do with this one precious gift you have? Jesus is saying that real life is found in this passion to follow Jesus, to love like Jesus loves. To lose ourselves in that kind of loving. John Claypool was the pastor of the Crescent Hill Baptist Church, a sister church just across the way, some 40, 50 years ago. But in one of his sermons, he said, Life consists of two kinds of pain, and we must choose which pain we want, the pain of loving or the pain of not loving. Jesus calls us to this pain of loving. You see, Jesus practiced loving beyond the boundaries. There's normal separation points that we set up as human beings. Peter says, you're the Christ, but his understanding is limited. No suffering Messiah for him. His is a God of tribe. His is a God of of group and clan and nation or race or class or orientation. A God who transcends all of those categories is more than he can understand. And Jesus has acted outside of those. We often do ourselves a disservice when we read the Bible. We read this little snippet, but we forget all that came before and all that came after as part of the context. And if you read those things, you find there's the healing of a blind man, a marginalized person, invisible person, and the acting out of Jesus for this to see this blind man. And there's a time of feeding the hungry, and the accent is on the very bounty of God. And then when the disciples themselves are hungry, right after that, they don't think that applies to them. They don't see the bounty of God. And they have this time on the mountain to see the beauty of God, and they want to stay there with a shrine. But Jesus goes to the valley to see the beauty of God in a broken boy. This is a boundary-breaking God, a Christ, a Messiah, who doesn't accept our limits. And when we love that way, we find that it's risky, it's dangerous. Years ago, a person was assigned to me. I could see that he had AIDS, a time when there was very little understanding, at least it wasn't widespread, And people were afraid, terrified even in their ignorance. 
When I knocked on the door, the woman answered. I assumed it was his wife, but I was wrong. She let me in, and she looked up and down the street both ways very quickly and closed the door. And as the story unfolded, she's not his wife. She's somebody who saw him and knew about him and took him in to care for him as he was dying with AIDS. And she said to me, if my neighbors knew he had AIDS, they'd burn my house down. Tough to choose loving kindness when you risk so much. Self-denial is a huge part of this. We choose things to deny during this time, whether it's coffee or cookies or whatever, but maybe we need to deny ourselves the luxury of revenge so we can follow the one who preaches reconciliation. Maybe we need to deny ourselves the need to be right so that we see that this other person and loving them is more important than the argument. Maybe we need to give up our need to be seen as powerful and in control so that others would not feel controlled. Maybe we need to give up our need to be seen as successful and learn what real success is about. Maybe we need to give up a comfortable indifference to injustice. There's an image that sticks in my mind from the shooting in Florida. It just keeps coming back again and again. It's a woman, a mother, and she has ashes on her forehead. Apparently that day, early on, she went and had ashes imposed. A crude cross, the mark of Lent. But her face, as she embraces her teenager, expresses anguish and fear and strength and comfort. I wonder what that day was like before she got the call. Dragging a lazy, sleepy teenager out of bed, arguing about what you're going to eat for breakfast. Did you get your homework done? I'll pick you up after school. We'll get you here, get you there. Rushing out the door. I wonder what work was like. A stack of papers to go through. I don't know. But when the call came, nothing else mattered. What did she give up that day? Everything. Everything. Love costs us. Can you imagine her saying when she gets the call, oh, well, I'll I'll go down and check on my son a little bit. I've I've got some work here to do that's really important. I've got a deadline to meet, a project that they're waiting for. Or, you know, i really got to eat lunch or I'll get moody. No. In that unspeakable moment, there is terrible clarity.
Jesus invites us to that moment of clarity. We live in times of terribly clarifying moments. We have them one after the other with shootings, whether from hotel windows or at schools. And whether we'll learn how to protect everyone from gun violence. We live in times when the the vision that all are equal is challenged and hate crimes proliferate. And here is this call to take up your capital punishment image. This call to love no matter what. When we say that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Lord, the Savior, the Son of God, the Messiah, we're saying something about God, but we're also deciding who God is for us. This one who will not be limited by our boundaries. Some time ago now, a few years back, I guess, I I did the wedding for this couple. We had done the premarital counseling We'd finished that a couple of months before the rehearsal. I got to the rehearsal of this very handsome man, this beautiful young woman. They're there, but instead of being this athletic, vibrant guy, he's kind of in a wheelchair. It's easy to assume a broken leg, but there was no cast, and he said he wasn't a broken leg, that he got some kind of virus. He said that's what they think it was, but they weren't sure. Asking about recovery, well... They think I will, but they're not sure. And I don't know why it did not occur to me to ask any more, but it didn't. We did the rehearsal, came to the wedding. He said his vows, spoke his vows of faithfulness to this woman that he loved. And I was repeating the vows for her to recite. And I came to the one, I pledge my faithfulness to you in sickness and in health. And she could not say the words She froze. Five long minutes of silence. I cannot imagine what it was like for him sitting there. In answering the question, love got real. And she was deciding not just about weddings. She was deciding who she was. When we say Jesus is the Christ, like Simon Peter, we're deciding who we are. Amen. We sing a hymn. Our time of response, 494, take my life.